0: Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Uh, Days like this are are really reminders, though, aren't they, that our kids just grow up so fast. I mean, I've I've got a picture of my oldest son, Andrew, and and his butt is in my palm, and his head doesn't quite reach my bicep. It's just hard to believe uh, how quickly they grow and have children of their own and families of their own. We're in a series... um, that we're calling Family Matters, and we've been talking about every stage of the family throughout this series, talking from courtship to to marriage to uh, next week we're going to be talking about parenting parents when roles begin to reverse. And today, obviously, we're talking about this issue of parenting. We're asking ourselves the question, and the best of parents do this, as our children age, as they get to that place where they are, in fact, going to be out on their own, we find ourselves saying, did I do enough? To prepare them? Did I adequately prepare them for what life is going to throw at them? Uh, And so that's the question we want to address today and help you deal with it. Talking about parenting, but specifically, we're going to be talking about parenting uh, through the lens of how do we prepare them for the day that we send them out, okay? Psalm 127, verse 3 through 5, let's get into it. uh, kind of gives us the process, describes an image for it. Let's read it together. It's on the screens. Children are a gift from God. They are His reward. I, I, read, I read that again uh, at my stage of life and I go, really? Because I thought grandkids were God's reward for not having killed my kids. I thought that's, but apparently the kids are a reward too. I don't know, maybe you think that's true, but anyway, let's pick it up. Children born to a young man are like sharp arrows to defend him. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. I've taught you this before. If you've been here long, you may have we talked about this when the Bible talks about in that passage this, house, this idea of house or home. It's talking about the generations. God always looks at the family across a multi-generational lens. And so what he's saying simply in this passage is that our children become like arrows that we prepare to send out to take the family to the next generation and to honor the values of the family to the next generation and to to come against any enemy who would try to attack our family to the next generation. It's why I said to my sons many times over the years, dude, when you go out, remember you're a wall. You're part of the wall family. You represent us, recognizing that family is not a one-generational thing. It's a multi-generational thing. So I don't know how full a quiver is. Some people say 12. I don't know we got any full quivers in the house. Six, three, two, one. I don't know. The point is not a number. The point is the, the, the imagery of this passage. And what does it say? We are preparing arrows. What are arrows made for? Hello, are you out there? Arrows are made for shooting, aren't they? And so our job ultimately is to straighten them, sharpen them, and then release them. From the day they come into our lives, that's our journey, is to help them to become as straight as they can be, understanding truth, sharpening them, preparing them with confidence to go out, and then releasing them to do what it is that God put them on this planet to, to do, and that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Three simple dynamics that it's critical for you to remember as parents, and if you're in the grandparent stage like I am to help your own children understand this journey, three dynamics we need to remember in order to give our kids the best chance possible to succeed when we send them out. Number one is you need to maintain parental Unity, maintain parental unity. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24 says, So a man shall leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two shall become one body. We usually read that passage of Scripture when we're talking about marriage, when we're talking about the, the intimacy of marriage. We're talking about two individuals coming together and, and formerly uh, beautiful tapestries of their own, but now forming an entirely new tapestry together. And all of that's true, but there's a parental detail in here too. And that parental detail is that you need to come together not just as one husband and wife, but you need to come together as parents. How many of you have kids or have had kids? Anybody in the house got them? How many of you figured out really early on that kids learn how to play divide and conquer? They just figured out real quick. Well, dad said it's okay. Is it okay with you? Well, dad didn't actually say it was okay. He said, ask your mom. But for, you know, <laughs> that's just what they learn very quickly. And so if you weren't, very careful about maintaining parental unity, Unity. it's like you create a chink in your armor for them to play divide and conquer and get in and do things and go places they aren't really prepared to do. So we have to be careful. And please hear me, I understand that in many cases these days, you're not necessarily married to your children's mother or father anymore. I get that. But, but for the sake of the children, you have to make sure that you're not using them as pawns in the struggles that you may have with your ex-wife or ex-husband. You've got to be careful about this thing because their future is at stake. So maintain parental unity. If you're going to disagree, do it behind closed doors. When you get out there in front of the kids, they see you united front for them, parents who love them. Can I get an amen on point number one? Or Do I need to talk about that one some more? Point number two is you need to understand something. Uh, Kids seek independence naturally, instinctively. It's just just part of of the DNA that God put in us that that we seek independence. I saw an Animal Planet thing some time ago about bears, and it was fascinating to me as I sat and watched all this stuff about bears, but something struck me during the the course of watching that program. It, It said that the mother bear keeps the cub for about a year and a half. And during that year and a half, she takes care of them. She trains them. She does all kinds of things for them. But then one day, the mother bear drives the cub up a tree and makes him stay there. She will do whatever she has to. He tried to come down to be with her, and she will will growl and, and whatever. She will keep that cub up in the tree until the cub is finally exhausted and falls asleep. And when the cub falls asleep, the mother bear leaves, and they never see each other again. That's the reality of the animal kingdom. Now, there's a popular saying out there that humans are just a part of the animal kingdom, and it is true that we've got a lot of mammal-like characteristics, but guys, we're created in the image of God, and the result is there's an awful lot of things about us as human beings that are not the same as the animal kingdom, and this is one of them because our instinct is not to drive them away. Our instinct is to hold on. Our instinct is to keep them close. Right. Our instinct is to never let them go, no matter what. And it is built into most kids to get away as soon as they can. Am I right? I mean, at six months old, they're squirming to get out of your arms. All right? At 18 months, they're climbing into places you don't want them to climb. Our son Adam, uh, we got to missing him one day, and how many you know the scariest thing of parenting a toddler is silence? Yeah, and so where's Adam? I don't know. Let's go find him. And so he had gotten into the bedroom. We had a six drawer, Chester drawers, and he had pulled the drawers out uh, just enough that he could use them as stairs. And he had climbed into the top drawer that was pulled out so that it was leaning like that, precariously full, sitting inside that drawer, throwing the clothes out. That's what they do, guys. By the time they're in preschool, they don't want to sit still at dinner. They don't want to be quiet in church. They don't want to play in safe areas. They they just want to go. I heard one little boy, uh, somebody said that adults are confusing. They teach us to walk and they teach us to talk and then they tell us to sit down and shut up. I don't... By the time they get into elementary school, they chafe at the idea of chores. They push back. They don't want to clean their room. They don't want to do the homework. Am I telling the truth this morning? They don't want to stop playing their video game. They want to keep going. I mean, in teen years. Um, I'm trying to be nice here. Um, when they turn 13, the day after their birthday, aliens come from outer space <laughs> And they take your child away and leave one that looks just like your child, but it is not your child. This one fights. I don't know. There's just a different person in this body. Now, they bring them back later on. I promise they do bring them back eventually. But for a while, there, there's this change that takes place. And so the young ladies want to wear what they want to wear, no matter what you say. And the young guys want to do what they want to do, no matter what you say. And both of them learn to get their way by pouting or sneaking. Am I right? Why? Because they instinctively Want to pull away. Somebody said, you know, a child is growing up when they stop asking you where they came from and stop telling you where they're going to. I <laughs> don't you know if that's true, but hear me, guys. None of that is rebellion. That's not being rebellious. That's being children. It's it's built in Jesus had no sin in his life. He was not a rebellious child, but when he was 12, the Bible says, that he distanced himself from his parents and went to the temple to teach. They'd been traveling for three days when they woke up and realized, "Where, where, where is Jesus? Isn't he in the crowd? And they to turn around and go look for him and find him, and they fussed at him when they got to the temple and found him and said, what in the world, man? You scared us to death. We, we're looking all over the place and you're gone. And he just looked at him and said, verse Forty-nine of Luke two, but why did you need to search? He asked. Didn't you realize I'd be here at the temple? I mean, come on. I, he didn't get it. Why it was so stressful them? Because he already knew what God had put him on the planet to do, and he was doing it. Jesus had an instinct for independence and to look to God for his direction, to accomplish what God put him on the planet to do. That's not rebellion, that's just reality, okay? And so some of you parents need to process through that and understand that's instinctive. Now, there's a couple of mistakes. We'll get into our third point. Uh, There's a couple of mistakes that parents uh, sometimes make. I want you to avoid these two, okay? A mistake number one is when you get your feelings hurt when you see your kids pulling away. I, I, frankly, it devastates some parents when they find out their kids are keeping secrets from them and, and they're doing things they don't know about or, or they don't want to be seen with the dork parents. Can you drop me a block from school so nobody can see me with you? I mean, it can be devastating sometimes when a child says that or a teenager says that to you. Just remember, it's not that they don't love you anymore. It's their natural God-given instinct to be released. That's all that's going on here. Don't make it about your feelings, don't let your feelings get hurt. On the other hand, the more common mistake that I see, especially in recent years, is giving kids too much of what they want before they're ready to have it. I mean, sometimes we do that without even being conscious of it. We don't realize what we're doing. We, we want to be loved by our kids. We hate it when they're mad at us and, and they, it feels like they're disapproving of us. And then you add to that the confusing signals that we're getting from the culture these days about somehow discipline is a bad thing, and and before you know it, uh, we're being permissive parents we never intended to be. Focus on the family says it this way, 85% of parents lack confidence in their child-rearing abilities, so the inclination is that when the child wants more freedom, unsure parents tend to give in. Hear me, guys. Your children need you to be the adult that's preparing them for the day when they are released. And they're going to chafe at that process. It's instinctive. They're going to. Don't make the mistake of letting them go too soon. That's what the whole story of the prodigal son was about, is he wanted to go too soon, and his father let him go, and he wound up in a hog pen eating the hog's food. Simply put, guys, we have to be the adults in this house. And, and so when I, when, I see, when I see parents or I hear parents say, well, you know, me and my kids are best friends, I always just kind of get this panic thing going on. I, we tell our kids, y- you need to understand something, friends come and go, but I'm dad. And I'm going to be here when your friends are gone. Kim would say, I'm your mom. I'm the only mom you got. I'm going to be here when your friends are gone. So be warm, be friendly, be fuzzy, but be the adult. They need you to be the adult. For their sake, they need you not to be permissive. They need you to set appropriate boundaries uh, uh, for their sake. So, So just understand that as a pendulum, okay? I said there's two mistakes. Just imagine it. If we find ourselves off in one extreme and we say, you know what, this is extreme I need to change, do we go from one extreme to balance? No, we tend to go from one extreme to the other, don't we? We, Pendulums tend to swing all the way to the soul. So if you're focusing on being hurt by what the kids are doing, who are you focusing on? Yourself. If you're focusing on allowing them to set the boundaries and decide how much liberty they have because you don't want them to disapprove of you, who are you focusing on? Yourself. Where do you need to be focused? On straightening, sharpening, and preparing for releasing you got to be the adult in the house. That's why Proverbs 22, 6 says, train a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not turn from it. Well, you know, I'm going to let my children grow up and decide for themselves what they want to do about faith and whether they want to be in relationship with God or not listen to me, please, lean into this one for a minute. If they don't hear your voice in their heads about faith, there are a thousand other voices that would be glad to tell them a lie. So be the voice. Train them in the way they should go. And then when they're old, they will remember those lessons that you taught them when they were sitting on your knee. Hear me, parents, regardless of where you draw the line, your kids are going to push it. They're going to test it. They're going to challenge it. It's the only way they know where the line is. And they're going to try to step over the line. They're going to play, play divide and conquer, try to confuse the line. That's what's going to happen. And if you're thinking somehow, well, Pastor Jim, that's a really good message, but, but not my kids. My, my kids are not like that. My kids will never be uh, like that. Then you need to wake up for their sake. I had a father come in for an appointment one time, and, and he said, Pastor, I just, I just need to, to ask you for some advice. Okay, fine. Uh, uh, how can I help? She said, he said, well, my daughter's 13, and she came home from school yesterday, and we got a call from the school that she lied uh, to the teacher about her homework. And then we found out she had been lying to us about her homework, and, and we're just devastated. And I said, okay, help me to understand why you're devastated. He said, well, she has never lied to us ever before. And, uh, and we're just wondering if, if, if we need to get her into counseling. And I said, well, um, counseling might actually be in order for you and your wife. If you think she's 13 and this is the first time she's ever lied to you, you need some help, boy. Because <laughs> they learned that really, really young. How many of your children were born selfish, self-centered? Come on, all the honest hands in the room went up. I mean, how many of you had infants at three o'clock in the morning who woke up hungry and messy diaper and thought, you know, Mom and Dad, work so hard, I'm not going to bother them. Come on, how many? <laughs> no, it's not the way it works. So what's the balance? Glad you asked. Ephesians chapter six, verse one, and verse four shows us the balance. Verse one, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. children. What? Obey your, Obey your parents. Right? You ready for the other end of the of the end of the spectrum? Verse 4. Fathers do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So what's the balance in there? It is don't exasperate them by being so strict, by being legalistic, by being so firm that you hold them down and you squelch the life out of them, but don't exasperate them by giving them so much freedom that they're out there doing things and being exposed to things they're not ready for. I remember one time when... One of my sons came to me at 14, and he wanted to go to a party. And I said, well, let me learn a little bit more about the family that's hosting the party. And when I did, I decided that he wasn't ready for that party. That set of that family was more permissive than I felt like he was ready for. And he looked at me and said, well, Dad, don't you trust me? And I said, yeah, I trust you about as much as I do any 14-year-old I know. I don't trust you enough to be ready for that. I just You're not ready for that, and I'm not going to let you. Go. The, the best analogy I know is teaching a child how to ride a bicycle. I don't know if you've ever done that or you've seen it happen, but the secret to teaching a child how to ride, ride a bicycle is knowing when to hold on, and when to let go. Am I right? And there, there's no, no hard, fast rule for that. That's something you have to feel your way through. You have to pay very close attention to what your child's doing and, and how much they're ready for. And that may happen at, at four or five for some kids. It may happen at seven or eight for other kids. It may happen in one lesson or it may take ten lessons. I mean, it's different for everything. But hear me, guys, if you don't have the courage to let them go at the appropriate time, they'll never learn to ride. And eventually, they'll get tired of messing with it and quit trying. At the same time, if you let them go too soon, they're going to bite the sidewalk. And, uh, and so you've got to learn somehow, teach them the skills. Start out with them riding on the, the, the crossbar with you while you ride, and then get them in the seat, and you ride like this. And then eventually you get to where you're just holding on to the seat, and then eventually you're letting go, maybe even without telling them you're letting go. And say, hey, man, you're doing it. Look, you're doing it. You're doing it. And you're running right alongside them the whole time. I got in trouble one time when I was 16. Destruction of state property. Uh, it was just a little vandalism thing, you know. It wasn't a real big deal, but uh, well, I had to pay a ticket. I went to my dad and said, uh, Dad, I, I got this ticket. Um, I was supposed to go to the magistrates and pay it, $15 fine. Doesn't sound like a big deal right now, but that was almost 50 years ago, so 15 bucks was a lot of money. And Dad said, well... You're old enough to get in trouble. You're old enough to handle it on your own. You're you're not going with me? No, I'm not going with you. You got the money? Yeah, I got the money. Well, then go to the magistrate's office and pay it. And so he made me walk downtown, little town, Bladenboro, North Carolina, where we lived. I had to walk downtown walk to the magistrate's office and pay the fine. And the whole time, I'm just griping and complaining. I'm saying, "How oh, dare my dad wouldn't even be bothered to be here with me, didn't care about me. If he cared about me, he'd be here to help me through this thing. And I'm just whining and complaining and fussing the whole time. And I went and paid the bill and I walked out. And when I walked out of the magistrate's office, I saw across the street, there was a Western Auto. and uh, And through the window, I saw my dad in the Western Auto. Now, understand, my dad... Uh, was a lot like me in that when you open the hood of a car, you look at it and go, yep, that's an engine. (sighs) He'd never been in a Western Auto in his life and to my knowledge never went again. But what was he doing? He'd let go of the seat, but he was running alongside just in case I needed him. You see, I learned a lesson about parenting from my dad that day. You don't release them while they're packing for college. It starts very, very young. And let me get practical for a minute. You start by putting them in the nursery when you come to worship. Oh, I know when you first get here, this is kind of scary and it's a big crowd and you don't know those people. I get it, we got a family room right there. You can be in, you're welcome to bring them into the sanctuary if you want to. But, But eventually, in time, as soon as possible, you take a risk and you take them down to the nursery uh, and please understand that all of our workers are screened and they're well-known. You can trust that it's a safe environment for them. And so in time, you take them in there. It not only makes it easier for you to worship because you can focus, but it makes it better for them. You, you, you've you introduced your child at a very young age to the concept of release so that when the time comes, it's not a new thing for them. As they get older then, you... Uh, You progress from there. Eventually, they spend the night at Grandma's house. They have a sleepover at Grandma's house. We had five of our seven grandkids over the Easter weekend, and uh, we live in a little 700-square-foot cottage right now. And so if you think we didn't have a blast, we had a blast. Uh, And and I could tell you stories, but I won't bore you with my grandchildren's stories. Okay, well, just one. Uh, There was... (laughs) One night, they're, they're talking and laughing, and they won't get quiet, and it's late, and Kim's fussing at him. Kim's the master sergeant in our house, and I'm kind of the easygoing guy. And so she's telling him what to do and telling him to get quiet, and they won't. And she finally looked at me and said, Jim, you got to do this. So I walked into the room where we had them all on pallets and the floor, and I said, okay, it's time. Enough. It's late. It's time to go to sleep. I don't want to hear any more from you guys. And my 9-year-old granddaughter looked at me and said, Ooh, stern (laughs) Gangan. And I turned around and walked away. (laughs) You enjoy them, but you release them. In time, you go out on a date with your spouse, get a trusted babysitter to be there. Eventually, you let them have sleepover with kids uh, in families that you know and trust. One of the toughest days is the first time you put them on the school bus and you cry as the bus drives away. But it's an important thing for them, guys. Eventually, you let them go out. Eventually, you send them off to summer camp. And and, and when they call on the second day homesick, you don't immediately drop everything and go pick them up. You say, well, let's give it one more day and let's just see. Most of the time, they'll get through it and they'll have a blast. and, And more importantly, they will learn that they can function for a period of time, even at a young age without mom and dad holding their hand every minute of the day. And so you say to them, come on, let's give it one more day. And, uh, uh, and, and if you still feel this way tomorrow, then, then give us a call. <coughs> uh, leave a message. We're going to be on our way to Disney World. But when we get back, we'll... Just kidding. Sort of. <laughs> then the day comes that they start dating. I heard about one father... Who his daughter had a first date with a guy he'd never seen before, didn't know, and the boy drove up with a classic muscle car, beautiful, obviously proud of his car, and the dad asks, so I love your car, man, it's a great car, he said, yeah, thanks, me and my dad built it, and I'm really proud of it, and and, uh, so the dad said, well, would you let somebody take it for a test drive, and the kid said, well, Maybe, I mean, if it's special circumstances, I, I might. Okay. He said, well, would you let somebody you just met take it for a test drive alone? He said, oh, no, I, I, I would go along. He said, hang on, I'll get my coat. <laughs> <laughs> it can be tough when we start letting go. But the next thing you know, they're finishing high school and they're heading off to college or military or career away from your immediate influence, away from your immediate control, and if you've done a good job of releasing them gradually, they'll be prepared for that day. Let me say quickly, most importantly perhaps, the most important thing, the most important thing. Did I say the most important? Did I mention this is most important? Somebody say most important. The most important thing you do in passing the mantle or the baton of control from you is that you're passing it to the Lord who loves them and they are prepared to give him control of their lives. if you haven't prepared them for that, then they're out there open to all kinds of influences. So by all means, educate them. By all means, teach them to brush their teeth. By all means, teach them social graces. By all means, teach them to manage their money. But if you haven't prepared them for that day in terms of knowing and loving the God who loves them, then you've set them up to handle this in their own power. So why do you come to church? I've had a lot of parents come to me and say, you know, I haven't been to church in a long time, but I want my kids uh, to grow up in the faith that my mother, my grandmother raised me in, and I applaud those parents. I've had a lot of those parents come back to me two months later and say, I thought I came for my kids, but I think it's for me. Okay, great the end of the day, make sure you raise them in the Lord. It occurs to me that that Judges 2, 7, and 10 may well apply to our generation if we aren't careful. It says, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who had seen all the great things the Lord had done after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. In other words, after that generation died away, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for them. It occurs to me that Christianity is one generation away from extinction. If a part of our preparation, our training, our sharpening, straightening and sharpening isn't introducing them to the Lord and all the great things that he's done in your life that he wants to do in theirs. So release them progressively, wisely, but do all you can to make sure they know the Lord. And all the people that we had standing a little bit earlier, those who are standing on this stage and others that were out there serving right now while we're in here celebrating with our graduates, they got your back. We're here to help you with this journey, but we're not taking either the responsibility or the authority to raise your children. That's your job before the Lord. We're just here to help. Let us help. You introduce him to the Lord. I've got to close. The third point is critical, though, so don't tune out on me. When the time comes, whatever age that is, release them completely, love them unconditionally. Dr. Dobson says the greatest problem adult children have, according to survey, is with their parents, 44% of which won't let us Go When it's time for your child to make his or her own way, especially when they get married, then it's time to let them go. It's time for them to establish their own families. It's time for them to establish their own way. And that's not to say you aren't interested. It's not to say that you aren't available to help. That's not to say that you're not there to give advice. But you are moving from parent to trusted adult friend. You quit telling them what to do. Do I need to say that again? You quit telling them what to do. If you give helpful advice, it's because they asked for helpful advice. This is a tough one, guys. You don't telephone or drop by every day unless you're invited to do so. And even then you might say, you know, I've been several times this week. It might be better if I stay away for a day or two. When you do go, you don't criticize the in-laws for the way they do things. Well, you you weren't raised that way you don't bail on them bail them out every time they get in some kind of financial trouble uh, they need the wisdom and dignity that comes from making their own mistakes just like you did kim and i've said many times through the years that one of the best things that ever happened to us as a family is we went to the philippines when our 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 our, our two children at the time were 4 and 2 and And we had a third uh, on the mission field. and We were gone for eight years. We had no choice but to lean on each other. We had no choice but to forge our own Christmas traditions. We had no choice but to establish our faith, not because mom and dad said it, but because we believed it. And I'm not saying your kids have got to go to the other side of the planet to get away from you, but make sure they don't have to go to the other side of the planet to get away from you because they need to establish their own way. That means stop correcting them when you see them making mistakes. You made yours and learn from them. Let them make theirs and learn from them. This is tough. This is tough. But hear me guys, it's critical for them. Adult children, you got to cut the apron strings too. You can't run to mom uh, every time your husband does something you don't like. You, you can't run to dad every time your wife does, says something you didn't want her to say. You can't run to your parents every time you get in a little financial struggle. You've you, you got to learn how to cut the emotional umbilical cord just like they cut the physical one when they were born. Uh, do the adult thing. Honor them always. Honor them. But set boundaries. <laughs> we're kind of role reversing these days it seems um, where kids don't want to leave home. They got it made, you know. They just kind of hang out and play. The, I started saying Nintendo. I don't do that anymore, but, you know, you know in the bedroom upstairs. There, did you see the court case? Was it in Utah or Idaho or someplace where the parents actually had to go to court and get a judge to order their 30-year-old son to finally get out on his own? <laughs> Those are the realities of our day. So, adult children, there comes a time when it's time. Now, all three of our boys lived at home until they got married. I'm fine with that. I, that's, that's great. And, and Adam was 30. And so there's no question that I'm not suggesting you push him out of the nest early, but there is a time at which it's time. I don't know if you know it or not, but early in Jesus' adult life, Mary and his brothers actually came to him and said, you're embarrassing us. It's time to come home. They didn't understand what he was doing. They didn't understand why he was willing to take the abuse that he was getting from the religious hierarchy. Jesus looked at her and said, Mom, I love you, but you don't understand what the Father sent me to do. I can't come home. Again, Jesus was without sin. Adult children, we have to give that gift to our parents. That said, no matter what age they are, six months or 60 years, um, whether they're doing really well or they're struggling really hard, you need to give them unconditional love, unconditional love. My dad went to be with the Lord 47 years ago. I was 19. He was was just 41. And here I am, 47 years later, been married 42 years, three grown sons, seven grandchildren, positions of responsibility in this amazing church and, and frankly around the world in several continents. But every now and then, I find myself thinking, am I doing okay, Dad? If you were here, would you be proud of me, Dad? You see, you never get away from that need from your parents. And let me just throw a word in. This is just spirit, dropped it in my spirit, so I'm just going to say it, and you can take it or leave it. Some of you are adults, and you have parents who have never given you that. Uh, And somehow, in the back of your mind, you hear them say, you're never going to amount to anything. And I believe God brought you here this morning to hear this gray-haired preacher say, you did their wrong. What they're saying to you ain't got nothing to do with you. It's got something to do with them. Let it go in Jesus' name. But as much as you can, you give them unconditional love. John 15, 12, this is my command, Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you. The prodigal son spent his dad's money, wasted his life, but when he came home, his dad was scanning the horizon for him, and he hugged him and put a coat on him and put a signet ring on his finger and threw a party. He loved his son when he got it right, and he loved him when he got it wrong. Author Bob Benson writes about taking his son to college. I'll close with this, listen to his words. We thought we were ready for this, but we came away from dropping him off at school. So lonely and blue, our hearts were filled with pride. He had grown to become a fine young man and our minds were filled with memories of tricycles and birthday parties. But deep down inside somewhere, we ached with loneliness and pain. Someone said, you guys still have three at home, right? Three fine kids who make plenty of noise. There's plenty of ball games to go to, plenty of responsibility, plenty of laughter, plenty of everything except Mike. In parental math, five minus one doesn't equal plenty. Then Benson writes, I was thinking about God. He sure has plenty of children, plenty of artists and singers and carpenters, plenty of preachers and butchers and bakers and candlestick makers, plenty of everything except maybe you. And all of them together could never take your place. There will always be an empty spot in God's heart and a vacant chair at his table when you're not at home. And so if once in a while God, it seems as if he's crowding you a little bit, try to forgive him. Maybe it's just one of those nights when He misses you so much, He can hardly stand it. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. God loves you unconditionally as the perfect Father. He has released you completely You have freedom of choice, but understand that he wants you desperately at his table. Maybe God brought you here this morning or he brought you online this morning to hear me say, come home. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us so much that you gave up the glories of heaven, took on the form of a man and of a servant. You served all the way to death. You died on the cross for us. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You paid the price for our sin. We thank you for that. Now help us to receive your love and reciprocate, give it back to you and through your love to our children, biological, adoptive, and spiritual. Keep your heads bowed for just a minute. I want to ask you parents to join me in a simple prayer first. We're going to pray two prayers this morning. But first of all, parents, doesn't matter if your children are six months or 60 years. This is a prayer for every parent. Pray it silently. Pray it aloud. Let it go something like this. Father, thank you for loving me. Now, would you give me the grace to love my children the way you love me? And give me the wisdom to release them gradually, appropriately, so when the day comes for me to shoot that arrow out into the world, I've done everything I can to prepare them. Most importantly, would you make your love known to my children at a very young and tender age? And I'll thank you for that too. In Jesus' name, keep your heads bowed. I've got to pray this prayer for some of you. If I'd ask you before service, are you a Christian? You might well have said, well, yeah, I grew up in, Such and such a church, or my parents, my grandmother was a Christian. But if I'd ask you, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that defines your life? You might well have struggled to give me an answer. And if that's you, would you pray a prayer with me now? Father, thank you for loving me, even though I'm not sure about our relationship. I want to be sure. So forgive me if I've been distant from you, God. Give me a fresh start today to walk in intimacy with you and to fulfill the amazing plan that you put me on this planet to accomplish. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? Our altar workers are making their way to the front. They're going to be down here after the service. If you want to pray with somebody now, please take advantage of that opportunity. These guys would love to pray with you before you leave. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Let's just pray together. Benediction, and we'll go out into the world. Father, thank you for the privilege of having been in your house. Thank you for the truths that you've spoken into us. Thank you for our graduates, 5th, 8th, and 12th grade graduates. And 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 college, and, uh, and just everybody that's moving into the next milestone of life. I pray blessing over them all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day. See you next Sunday. We're talking about parenting parents. You'll want to be here for that.